you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the book of Philippians, specifically chapter 1. As we continue a sermon series through this book of joy. In fact, our sermon series is called A Journey of Joy. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verse 12 through verse 18. The title of the message, Four Truths for the Journey. Four Truths for the Journey. Now when you found Philippians chapter 1, look up here at me. I believe that life is a journey. It has a definitive beginning. It has a definitive ending. And according to the Lord's grace upon our lives, it has a certain amount of years in between that beginning and that ending. I believe that all of us here today are somewhere on the journey. But I also believe that those of us that are further ahead than others, perhaps even coming to the close of our journey, we have a responsibility to those who are behind us. A responsibility to teach those who are coming behind us things that we have learned along the way. Things that will be helpful to them, things that will be a warning to them, that they might model what we did correctly and they might be careful about the things that we did incorrectly. I say all of that to say this. As we go into the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul has six years left to live. He doesn't know it, but he senses that his time is drawing short. Six years left of ministry, six years left of life, and this veteran of the Lord Jesus Christ, service to the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to share some things that he has learned in the journey with a new church that's just been started, a church at Philippi filled with rookie Christians. Many of them have just gotten saved. And they've got a long ways ahead of them, perhaps. And so this great man of God sits out to write some things he wants them to know that will be helpful to them in the days, months, years to come. He's writing to the church at Philippi, but he's writing to Miles Road. He's writing to the saints then. He's writing to the saints today. The four truths that he wants to share with them. Truths from a man as he's closing out his life and ministry to those who in many ways are just starting out. Truth number one is found in verse 12. But I would you should understand. I want you to understand, brethren, my family, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. I want you to understand that all these things that have happened to me in my life's journey have taken place for the furtherance of the gospel. Life is full of trials and troubles. Life is full of pressures and pain. Life is full of headaches and heartaches. 
All of us face them, some more than others. And many people like to spend their time dwelling on those aches and pains, headaches and heartaches, tears and tragedies. They like to remember them, they like to recount them, and they like to sing about them, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Well, maybe you're one of those, I hope not. The Apostle Paul sure wasn't. His life had a lot of those things. But Paul understood something. That God is sovereign and God is in control of his children's lives. Sometimes God will allow things to fulfill his purposes. Sometimes God will cause things to fulfill his purposes. But God has his hand on his children's lives. He has his hand on his servants' lives. And they're not going to ever find themselves in a place where God didn't arrange for them to be. And when God puts them in that place, that place has a purpose. And the purpose, more often than not, is to share our faith with those around us. Paul was not a negative, woe is me person. He was a very positive, God is wonderful person. But again, he understood that everything he's been through thus far in his life, God is using it as a springboard for him to have a witness. It's interesting that he calls all of these pains and pressures and problems, all of these headaches and heartaches, all of these trials and tribulations, he just kind of capsulizes and summarizes them with the word, things which happen. If I asked you to tell me all the bad things that have ever happened to you, would you say, Pastor, just, just some things happened? <laughs> no, you'd probably pull out the laundry list. Paul didn't dwell on the things that happened he dwelled on the purpose why those things happened. The actual translation of things which happened are happenings. Paul said, I, I don't care to give them all to you. It's not necessary. But I've had some happenings in my life. And they've been very painful happenings and very problemsome happenings and, and very difficult happenings and very dark happenings. And I want you to know I faced them. But I understood that God put me there that I could be his witness. What are some things Paul's probably thinking about when he says, my happenings, that God has used to further the gospel? Maybe he's thinking about the time in Jerusalem that he was wrongly accused by someone who was an antichrist against the things of the Lord. Paul was beaten almost to death. And if it wasn't for the fact that he was saved by the authorities, he would probably have been put in the grave. And from that false accusation, he was sent to a prison for two years in Caesarea. Once again, he's done nothing wrong but share Jesus. And somebody didn't like it. So they accuse him. He's beaten. He's arrested. 
He's sent to Caesarea where he will spend two years in prison. Then he is ordered to be taken to Rome by ship. That Caesar needs to examine these false charges against him. And so he goes on a ship. The ship encounters a storm. The the storm breaks the ship up. The ship sinks to the bottom. And Paul and the sailors have to swim to an island called Miletus. There he will be picked up. Sent to Rome again. And there he will be imprisoned for two more years. Once again, for charges against him that were not true. They were trumped up. That's what he's talking about when he talks about his happenings. That's a lot of happenings, isn't it? But he just makes mention, he says, these are just things that happened. He didn't dwell on them. He dwelled on the reason why they happened, and that was for the furtherance of the gospel. Can you imagine spending four years of your life in a prison, a hole, a dungeon, because somebody charged you with a crime that was not true? And the authorities did not want to handle it, so they just kept kicking the the can down the road to the highest authority of their day, which would be Caesar. I want to remind you, as I did last week, that Prisons in that day are not like the country club prisons we have today in some cases. Prisons in that day were like holes. They were like dungeons. They were dark. They were damp. They were infested with rats and roaches. There was mold and sewage everywhere. And the prisoners that were put into these holes were often tired and hungry and cold and wet and abused. So when Paul just casually says, I've been in prison, that's one of the happenings that have occurred to me. I've been in prison for four years. That's what he's saying. But he's saying in all of that, I had opportunities to share my faith. Remember in Acts chapter 9, when the Lord saved Saul of Tarsus, and by the way, would change his name to Paul the Apostle, He promised him something. He said, I am going to use you, not just to speak to the common man. I'm going to use you to speak to the leadership of the Jewish and Gentile religious and political world. You, Paul, will have opportunities to go before the religious leaders of Judaism and share Jesus. You're going to have opportunities to go before the political leadership of Rome up to the highest levels and share Jesus. And I'm sure Paul was saying, I can't believe it'll ever happen. (laughs) And God in his sovereignty brought these problems and pains and pressures and headaches and heartaches and trials and tribulations to fulfill the promise he made to Paul. So you see, once again, and I I, want to reiterate it, these things had a purpose. Do you know Paul had an opportunity to speak to the Jewish Sanhedrin? The Pharisees, the legalists, the Sadducees, the liberals, but they both hated Jesus. He stood before them and shared Christ with them. He used to be one of them, but now he's one of God's. 
Then he shared Christ with Felix and Drusilla. Then he shared Christ with Festus and Agrippa and Bernus. These were high-ranking political religious authorities. And they didn't know what to do with him. So they sent him to Caesar. And the history tells us that he probably shared Christ with Nero. One of the most barbaric, wicked men that ever wore the throne of Rome. And Paul shared Christ with him. He can't stand before God and say, I didn't hear. He did hear. The sailors and the prisoners that were with him on the ship, they heard. The people of Miletus heard. And all of these people had a chance to know about Jesus because of the trials that Paul went through. I'd like to suggest this morning that if you're going through a difficulty, if life is hard for you right now, if you're feeling the stress and strain and struggles of life upon you, and all you want to do is talk about them, may I say to you, listen to your pastor, don't dwell on them. Dwell on the fact that if you are a born-again Christian, God has allowed these things into your life. He's caused these things into your life. He's setting you up to witness to people who need to hear what you got to say. And they'll never hear it unless this happens to you. Pastor, I'm in a rehabilitation center. Why are you there, you think? I'm in a cancer clinic. Why are you there? I'm in a hospital or nursing home. Why are you there? I'm in an unemployment line or a divorce court. Why are you there? I'm in a funeral home or a jailhouse. Why are you there? I'm serving our country on a battlefield. I'm in a POW camp. Why are you there? Listen to me. Why are you there? Because God put you there. And he is going to use you to further the gospel into the lives of people who otherwise would never hear. Please don't dwell on the circumstance. Dwell on the purpose of Christ. So Paul wants to share that with those who are coming behind him. He said, I've had some happenings in my life. And by the way, you're going to have them. But don't dwell on them. Look for the ones that the Lord wants you to witness to. And be ready. Verse 13, he shares a second truth. The sharing of Christ is always our goal. It's always our goal. What's the end game? What's the goal of, of life? Of this journey of life? Notice what he says in verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifested in all the palace and in all other places. That's interesting. Paul said, my witness, as I've went through all of these happenings, even as I'm in prison, my witness is not just in this prison, it's in the palace of Caesar himself. Now you might be thinking, how did Paul get to Caesar's palace to share his faith? Well, he hasn't yet. 
But let me tell you how it was happening. When Paul was in prison, he is considered a dangerous criminal. Although there's no charges that can be proved against him, he's considered a criminal. He's considered a troublemaker. He's considered an agitator. He's considered a possible traitor to the Roman Empire. Therefore, he not only will be put into the hole, he not only will be put into the dungeon, he's not only going to have rats and roaches and sewage and mold all around him, he is going to be attached, connected to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. Can you imagine that, ladies and gentlemen? Having someone connected to your wrist by a small chain every hour of every day of every week of every month for two years in Rome. Well, Paul, that's what he's going through. Now, these guards that are connected to him by chains are not just any guards. They're the elite of Caesar's bodyguard. You see, there was the Roman army, and then there was the secret service, the special forces that specially worked for Caesar himself. And these guards were part of Caesar's elite. They were the, they were the best trained, the most highly paid, the most experienced in combat Soldiers in the entire Roman army and the entire Roman Empire. They took their orders directly from Caesar. And one of them is attached to him every single day. Now, they only work six hours, these elites. So, in other words, every six hours, a new man would come in, the old man would get off. Four times a day, he would be connected to a new guard. 28 times a week, 120 times a month, 1,440 times a year. Every time he did something, he had somebody he had to pull a little bit. He's writing letters. Can you imagine that, trying to write a letter? It's already bad enough. He's in a hole he can't see. It's dark. It's damp. It's deplorable conditions. And on top of that, he's got another man down there with him. And he's trying to write letters. But I wonder if that guard, when he's writing those letters, isn't going. He's also doing something else in that prison. What is he doing? The greatest Christian man who ever lived is praying. And I promise you, when he prayed, heaven paid attention. And that guard is having to sit there and listen to what? His prayers. And then he's singing. He's singing Amazing Grace. Rock of Ages left for me. What a friend I have in Jesus. And that Roman guard has got to sit there and what? Listen to those songs. And then Paul just breaks out and he starts saying, I'm a sinner. I deserve to die, but I was saved by the grace of God. 
He witnesses to himself. And the guard asked to do what? Every letter he writes, that guard reads. Every prayer he utters, that guard hears. Every song of praise he sings, that guard hears. Every witness he gives to himself, that guard hears. Do you know that many of those guards, many of those guards hardened, calloused, violent men gave their life to Jesus. That's how the gospel left the prison and went to Caesar's palace because they got saved in that prison. And they went and shared their faith in the very palace where Nero lived. You see, you might say Paul was chained to the guards. May I say, no, 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 the guards were chained to him. And he may have been in prison, but the, but the winged eagle of the gospel was flying high outside. You see, Paul understood the whole purpose of his being there, as I said earlier, was to share his faith. These guards would have probably died and went to hell. They would have never heard the gospel. But God put Paul there in their path, and Paul knew it, and he shared with them. Can I ask you a question? Look up here at me. Who are you connected to? You know, you're chained to somebody too. And you're probably saying to yourself, I don't like it one single bit. I've got it already bad enough now. And now I'm chained to a husband who doesn't care for me. I'm chained to a wife who's an, a major aggravation. I'm chained to a child who's rebellious. I'm chained to a grandchild who's rowdy and rude. I'm chained to an employer who harasses me. I'm chained to a neighbor who's nothing but trouble, a pain in the neck. Do you understand something? Maybe God chained you to them that you'll show them Jesus. You want to get rid of them and God said, no, I chained them to you. Because I want them to see something in you that they can't figure out. Unexplainable but undeniable. Something that's conspicuous. Something that's contagious. Something that will make them want what you got. And as long as you're belly aching about them, it ain't never going to happen. Write them notes and tell them you care. Pray for them. Sing songs of praise around them. Tell them about you, Jesus. Wow. And you thought you were just connected to them because God was punishing you. No, God is doing something in your life that's amazing. All right, number three truth. This is the great man of God turning around on the journey of life and saying, you who are coming behind me, please listen to me. God's purposes are often accomplished through our problems. You got that? And the sharing of Jesus with those that we're connected to is always the priority. You're trying to sever the connections, and God's saying, listen, I've got you connected to them that you might show them something they've never seen before. Tell them something they've never heard before. Let them experience something through you they've never experienced before. 
Verse 14, the third thing. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxed confident. That word waxing means they became braver. They were a little cowardly, but after they watched Paul, they begin to grow in bravery and confidence, even though he's in bonds or chains. And they became much more bold to speak the word without fear. Courage. As the believers outside the prison heard that Paul was teaching and preaching and witnessing to the very guards of Caesar himself, and they were responding and getting saved, the saints on the outside who were free said, we're not going to be cowards anymore. And we're not going to sing, retreat, Christian soldiers, retreat. We're going to start singing onward, Christian soldiers. We're going to start doing what he's doing. If he can do it in prison, we can do it outside prison. If he can witness to guards, we can certainly witness to our family and our friends and our neighbors and our fellow classmates and our co-workers. We can have courage, too. Do you know people watch us? And when they see that we are people of courage and conviction, it challenges them, it touches them to want to be like us. And the higher up you go in this thing called the Christian life, the more people watch you and listen to you and respond to what you do. That's why the Bible puts a premium on being a pastor The Bible puts a premium on being a teacher or or an officer or a leader in the church because what we do affects so many people, positively or negatively. Paul's courage had an effect on the other believers. When I think about courage, I, I can't help but think about the story of a husband and wife who were on vacation, and they got a bad tooth. Ever had a bad tooth on vacation? I mean one of those teeth that just go... I mean, you're just miserable. Well, they had a bad tooth on their vacation, so they went to the dentist. And the dentist said to the husband, he said, what can I do for you? The husband said, we've got a bad tooth. He said, but I want you to know something, sir. We're on vacation. We don't have a lot of time for you to play around with this thing. And we don't have a lot of money to spend on this extraction because we're on vacation and we need it for our theme parks and our restaurants. So we want you to get this tooth out, sir, and get it out quick, get it out fast. We don't even need no Novocaine, nothing to fool around. Just take the tooth out. And the dentist looks at the husband and says, I'll tell you what, I've never seen a man of such courage. Would you open your mouth and show me which tooth it is? And the husband said, come here, hon, show him your tooth. (laughs) You see, it's easy to have courage when we don't have to have it. But we give courage through how we respond to the problems and pains of life. Do we make it a woe is me, let me tell you all the bad things in my life, or do we make it a wonderful is God? And God has brought all of these things into my life that I could share the gospel with people who otherwise wouldn't hear. 
that I can even take the gospel to places that nobody would ever think it would ever penetrate. Paul's courage motivated others to believe. My headaches and my heartaches and my tears and my trials and my troubles, I would love to be able to take those things and use them like Paul did as a springboard to tell others about Jesus. But pastor, I am so scared. I don't know my Bible very well. I don't know chapters and verses very well in the books of the Bible. I'm not even sure that I can remember the the four Roman laws, the gospel, how to present it. Pastor, I'm so afraid if I tried, somebody's going to ask me a bunch of questions. I'm going to get tongue-tied. I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm just going to, Pastor, I'm just terrified. Notice something in verse 14 that I hope will help you. They became confident when they heard about Paul in prison, bonds. And with that confidence, they became much more bold to, help me with that word that follows, to speak the word without fear. You know what that word speak means? Pay attention. It means to tell your story that you can tell his story. Did you catch that? What kind of witnessing was Paul primarily doing in that prison that the believers outside the prison could emulate because they were not theologians? Remember, these are rookie Christians. This is a new church. How are they going to share a faith that they've just got themselves? They're going to tell their story. And by telling their story, they're going to tell his story. That's called a what? Help me out now. Testimony. A testimony is you simply telling other people what you were, what Jesus did for you. It's telling your story. People can argue theology with you, but they can't argue your testimony because it's uniquely yours. You'd be a fool to argue my testimony with me. I was there. You weren't. And the same with somebody with you. This word that we can share when we're connected to people, this word that we can share when we're in a place that God's put us to share our faith, though it is a painful place, this word is our story. This is who I was. This is what happened to me. And this is what I am now. And it's all because of somebody named Jesus. That's the story. Your story, his story. You can't tell me you can't do that. We all have a story. Tell your story. This is what I was. This is what happened. This is what I am now. Glory be to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I like testimonies. I don't know about you. I love testimonies. The testimony of Zeb Osborne that I mentioned last week. The meanest man in the South Carolina penal system. On death row because he's so violent. He's awaiting death. And yet he meets Jesus on death row. 
He's gloriously saved. He was released from death row and he opened up a a bread store in a thrift shop in Columbia, South Carolina. That was his story. From death row to freedom. Wow, what a story to tell. And you know what he said? This is my story and it's all because of Jesus. Then there was Iris Blue. She run a house of prostitution. She was the leading lady in a house of shame. And then she met Christ. He changed her life as he saved her soul. She went from someone who sold her body for the devil to a daughter of a king. All because of Jesus. There was Rick Stanley who worshipped Elvis Presley, the king of rock. But when Elvis died, his world collapsed. And he finally found a king who would never die. His name is Jesus. He met the king of kings. There was rusty rumor, the devil's scum on death row in Columbia. But he met Jesus and became a son of God. Do you see? Simple stories. Every one of them that have come. Every one of them that have written books. Their story is just their story. It's nothing elaborate. It's nothing theological. This is who I was. I met Jesus. This is who I am now. I like in John chapter 9, the old beggar who couldn't see. And Jesus gave him sight. The religious leaders called him in to interrogate him. He didn't have no education. He wasn't too smart. He didn't know 1 Corinthians from 1 John. And they said, how how can you see? He said, I can't tell you. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And Jesus did it. And they got mad at him. Can I ask you a question? What's your story right now? If I asked you to come to this platform right now, I won't do that, so some of you are going to. I don't want you to be on pins and needles the rest of the service. Every time I look at him, he's going to call me up. I wouldn't do that to you. But if I did call you up and I said, tell us your story, you got a story to tell? If you don't have a story to tell, you're not saved. But if you are saved, you ought to have a story. This is who I used to be. This is what happened at a time and place in my life on this journey. And what happened to me was because of Jesus. Not because of a church, not because of a denomination, not because of a religion, but because of a Christ who came into my life. And then lastly, very quickly, last point. Now Paul, remember, he's teaching something to a young church, to to young believers. He's saying, I'm I'm further down the road than you are, but what I've learned are things I want you to learn. I want you to learn that God's purposes are fulfilled in our problems sometimes. I want you to know that we're to share Jesus with the people that God connects us to. I want you to know that we are to be models of courage, models of witness to those that are around us that as they watch us, they would want to do such things. And then lastly, notice in verse 18. The bottom line of it all is this. Paul says in verse 
15, 16, and 17, he talks about the reasons why people share the Lord. And he says, quite frankly, I really don't care what their reasons are. <laughs> he says, as long as they share the Lord, I'm happy. Verse 18, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether it's in pretense or in truth, whenever Jesus is preached, Christ is preached, I rejoice. And then again I say, I will rejoice. Paul said, listen, I know some people preach the gospel. I know some people tell people about Jesus, and they do it all for the wrong reasons. Some of them are legalists. They're bound and caught up in a law but they do share Jesus. Others are liberals. They don't believe one single thing in the Bible you have in your hand. They deny it all. But they do preach Jesus on occasion. Many of those who preach Jesus are lazy and no count. But they do preach Jesus occasionally. Some are as mean and nasty as a junkyard dog. They'll gnaw on your leg if you let them. But sometimes they preach Jesus. And he says, I'm glad for that. Sometimes they're filled with jealousy. Sometimes they're selfish. Sometimes they're combative. Sometimes they're negative. He says, I know of all kinds of people that claim to be Christians, but if they're sharing Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, they're sharing the gospel, how to be saved of the scriptures, he said, I rejoice. I may not like them, they may not like me. That's not the point. I rejoice that they do what I'm doing. They're sharing Jesus. They're sharing Jesus. Do you know there's some people who don't like your pastor? I know that's hard for you to think. But there's some fellow Baptists who probably wouldn't care for me too much. You say, Pastor, do they know you? No, they don't know me at all. But why don't they like you, Pastor? Because I'm a Southern Baptist. You see, we Baptists, we have different camps. And sometimes these camps don't like each other simply because one camp believes something the other camp quite doesn't believe in. It's nothing ever major or fundamental. It's always a bunch of pettiness and nonsense, if I could say so. And so we, we got Baptists who don't get along with Baptists, who don't get along with Baptists, who don't get along with Baptists. Now, some of you Methodists sitting out there probably going, <laughs> let me tell you what, we got Methodists who do the same thing. Methodists don't like Methodists, don't like Methodists. Presbyterians don't like Presbyterians, don't like Presbyterians. You're not Baptist enough for us to like us, you're too much Baptist to be liked. Paul says, I don't care what you are. If you are sharing the Jesus of the Bible, if you're telling people how to be saved according to the Scriptures, he said, I can put up with you. And I'll count you a friend and I'll rejoice in what you're doing. Though you may not necessarily agree with me on all points, and me with you on all points. He says the goal is to share Christ and bring people to him, is it not? 
whether you be a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Hydromatic, Automatic, whatever you want to be. I mean, I, that shouldn't surprise us, should it, as I close? I mean, if you're a football fan, I know many of you ladies are football fans, you can't wait to September. But in September, the football season's going to start. All of our NFL teams will start at the same level. All of them have the same goal, whether you're the Cleveland Browns or the Philadelphia Eagles or somewhere in between. The goal is what? To get to the Super Bowl and win it. That's the goal. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter if your quarterback is a playboy with a touch of arrogance. It doesn't matter if your offensive linemen are profane and a bunch of drunkards. It doesn't matter if your backs and receivers are laughable. It doesn't matter if your defense is made up of misfits, thugs, and rejects. All that matters is we win games, get to the Super Bowl, and win the Super Bowl. And all is well. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because in 1969, there was a team out of New York called the New York Jets. They had all of that. <laughs> and they had a lot of critics from their quarterback being criticized all the way down. But when they won the Super Bowl, where were the critics at? Didn't hear from them. Everybody was in line applauding. And that's what Paul says. It is not necessary I like everything about you. But if you're winning people to Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and sharing the scriptures of the Bible, I applaud you and I'll rejoice with you. Because nothing else really matters, does it? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. To Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and sharing the scriptures of the Bible, I applaud you and I'll rejoice with you. Because nothing else really matters, does it? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.